guitar. He makes it sound just like a piano. Did y'all notice that? That was <laughs> that was neat. <laughs> you know. But uh, how about you pick a little bit when we distribute the Lord's Supper? You know that uh, that way we get to. Yeah. <laughs> All right, but it's it's good to be flexible. You never know. You never know. So appreciate uh, Sherry very much. A wonderful, wonderful song. I invite you to open your Bible this morning to the book of Psalms. We will be in Psalm chapter 1 today. We're going to begin a new sermon series. It's called the Hebrew Hymn Book. We're going to be in the book of Psalms and looking at a, uh, a selection of those over the next several weeks. The title of the uh, book of Psalms comes from the Greek word that means songs. So Psalms is a collection of songs. Uh, the Hebrew title is the word praises. So it is a collection of songs that sing praise to God. Many of these psalms can be categorized as prayers. We've been talking about praying through the psalms on Sunday nights. And the reason why that is appropriate because most of the psalms are prayers. Anytime you praise God, you are praying to God. You are declaring to God uh, His worth and His glory. Psalms is a collection of inspired writings. These are divinely inspired from the Holy Spirit. This is the Word of God, uh, written by various authors, and it spanned over 1,000 years. So over a, a millennium, uh, different authors inspired by God to write these words, and they were collected and organized over those times. It is the longest book of the Bible. It's 150 chapters. It's also the middle of the Bible, which is very appropriate. The, the middle, the center of all the Bible is about is praising God for who He is and for what He has done for us in Christ. Uh, it is organized into five books, five different books. Book one is from chapter 1 to chapter 41. And perhaps each of these five books were meant to reflect the five books of the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Uh, that is a, a, a speculation by many. Psalms is both familiar to us and foreign. It's familiar. We're, we're familiar with a lot of the, the poetry, a lot of the, uh, uh, the, the words of the Psalms. So we know that in the New Testament, the book of Psalms is quoted more than any other Old Testament book. So in one sense, we're very familiar with the Psalms as far as exposure. But in another sense, the Psalms is very foreign because this is ancient poetry, it is poetry that was written in a, a different place of the world 3,000 years ago and, and poetic language that was used in that culture and, and poetic style in, in some sense that, that might be different and foreign to us. And so it makes Psalms in some ways a, a little bit diff difficult for us to interpret. The poetic arrangements and the terminology reveal amazing creativity as we read the Psalms, but also brutally honest emotions. As you read the Psalms, every single human emotion is in there. There's joy, there's sorrow, there's anger, there's doubt, there's fear. No matter what you are going through in life, there is something in Psalms that, that resonates with you in that specific season. John Calvin called the Psalms an anatomy of all parts of the soul. Anatomy of all parts of the soul. As we think about psalms being a collection of songs, we know that music is a powerful tool for teaching theology. As we read the psalms, it, it teaches us some things about God. It teaches both His transcendence and His eminence. His transcendence, His greatness, and His eminence, His nearness. 
that in one sense God is greatly exalted. He is high and above, and, and there is none like God. He is the creator and the ruler of all things. His transcendence, His greatness. But at the same time, we read of God's eminence, His compassion, His concern, His care for His people and for all of creation, His nearness. And it's an amazing God that Psalms reveals. And as we read the Psalms, we read about texts dealing with the monarchy, the, king, the kingdom of David specifically. And the New Testament writers teach us to interpret that terminology in terms of Jesus. We read of Christ in the Psalms, even though they were written hundreds of years before he was even born. Psalms is a powerful tool to enhance our worship in both the personal and in the corporate setting. It was used for that in the Old Testament for God's people. They, as they gathered to, to worship corporately, they would read from the Psalms and they would sing from the Psalms. And so as we focus on this book of the Bible over the next several weeks, I pray that we would draw the same sort of, uh, of power and the same sort of freedom as we worship God together. Over the next several weeks, we will be in book one of the Psalms, and each of our sermon titles will be taken from familiar Christian hymns as we look at the theme of each of those Psalms. Today we have Psalm 1, and the title is, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. If Psalms is a book of praise, then Psalm 1 serves as the introduction. It sets the tone for the remainder of the entire book that is to come. And so if that is the case, we might be tempted to think, okay, if, if Psalms is a book of praise and, and it is a collection of songs, then if Psalm 1 sets the introduction, it must be a, a song uh, about music, a song about singing to God and vocalizing to God with our mouths, our praise to Him. But in actuality, when we come to Psalm 1, we see it's more about our will and it's more about our, our choices to follow God than it is about singing. And so from that, we learn that worship is about following God. And as an expression of worship, you should choose the only path that God promises to bless. That is the tone of Psalm 1, and that is the focus of our time together in God's Word today. As an expression of worship, choose the only path that God promises to bless. I want to encourage you to stand with me, if you would, for the reading of God's holy words. We give reverence to this writing. And the psalmist here in Psalm 1 writes the following words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray together. Father, we have come into your house this morning and open your word, and we pray, God, as we see this choice that is set before us, God, that you would lead us 
to choose the pathway that leads to you, that leads to your blessings. Father, help us to make that right decision in our lives, a decision that affects us here and now and for all eternity. And Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' blessed name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. (coughs) The late Yogi Berra wrote a book titled, When You Come to a Fork in the Road, Take It. And in some ways, that is the uh, theme of our text this morning. It presents us with a fork in the road. Two choices we can make, and you can't take both paths at the same time. They go in, in, in opposite directions of one another. And so you must choose one. You must choose one path. And the psalm writer here breaks it down into two stanzas for us, dealing with those two paths. And and leads us to choose the right path. First of all, we read that we should follow the blessed path. Follow the blessed path. Psalm 1 begins, in fact, the entire book of Psalms says, How blessed! How blessed! And in truthfulness, that word blessed there is in the plural. How, how many blessings are bestowed upon the one who does these things how blessed and it's also the first word of the beatitudes that jesus preached in psalm or in uh, matthew chapter 5 in the sermon on the mount blessings heavenly divine supernaturally blessed lives are the result of following this path and what does this path consist of first of all you must avoid wickedness Avoid wickedness. It says, how blessed is the man, singular. And that's important, too, because as you look at these other things, they are in the plural, the wicked, the sinners, the scoffers, in the plural. But he says, how blessed is the man who chooses to go a different pathway, perhaps, than than everyone else. The man that chooses the right path is blessed. How blessed is the man who does not walk or stand, or sit. We see a a natural progression here, a a progression into the depths of wickedness. We must learn and be wise to Satan's schemes. As, As he wants us to sit in the chair, as we perhaps consider this chair to be sin. Now, make sure you tell Rhonda, I chose her chair and not my chair to be the sin chair. If this chair is sin, Satan wants you to sit in it, but he's not going to come to you and say, sit in this chair. Because you're going to say, no, that's sin. What he tells you to do first of all, he says, just kind of walk past the chair. Kind of look at the chair. You know, just look at it. Look at the chair. And he says, okay, now now come up and just kind of touch the chair. You know, you're not sitting in the chair. You're just kind of getting around it and, and touch the chair. Just become familiar with the chair. And you say, okay, I'm near the chair. I'm touching the chair. It's not so bad. And so then eventually the final step is I'm just going to go ahead and sit in the chair. And then Satan has won. He's led you into sin. That's the way he works. It's a a slow progression, a, a slow fade, as the song says. But when we read this, we see this progression. And he says, you're blessed if you don't walk this way. He says, first of all, you don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. That's association with those who, who plan to do evil. The counsel of the wicked. Don't, don't walk, don't associate with those who have plans and, and devices to do the wrong things. 
You're blessed if you don't go that route. But then he says the next thing is to stand in the path of sinners. You're moving from association to participation with those who do evil. They go beyond just thinking about doing evil things. They, they actually do those wrong things. They participate in wickedness. Then the final step in the progression is to sit in the seat of the scoffers. This leads to a fixation. You're, you're permanently fixated there. And you no longer just hang out with those who think about evil or participate with those who do evil. You are one of those who lead others into doing evil. You are teaching evil. Some have said these are doctors of damnation who sat in these seats of scoffers, of, of mockers, of those who scorn the things of God. Charles Spurgeon once wrote, The seed of the scorner may be very lofty, but it is very near to the gate of hell. Let us free from it, flee from it, for it shall soon be empty, and destruction shall swallow up the man who sits therein. We must avoid wickedness to walk the blessed path. But it goes beyond just avoiding the wrong things, the, the negative aspects. We must avoid the wrong things, but we must pursue the right things. And that's the next part of this walking of this path. Verse 2 teaches us we must appreciate the Word of God. We avoid wickedness and, and we avail ourselves of the Word. We appreciate the Word of God. He says in verse 2, but in contrast, the man who is blessed avoids the sin, but then he pursues the right thing. That's the Word of God. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. What is the law of the Lord? It's God's revealed scriptures, God's revelation of Himself through the divine writings, the inspired writings. In the time of the psalmist, the, the collection of inspired writings was very small. As we think about the law, the first five books of the Bible, how much more so should we as Christians today delight in the law of God as it has expanded into 66 books? is your delight in the law of God. For the man who walks the blessed path, it is. It is. He says his delight is in the law of God. And he delights in it so much, he, he spends time in it. He meditates in it. He soaks it up. He doesn't just go to it and then walk away from it and forget it. No, he, he stews on it. He noodles on it. What, what did I just read? What does this mean? Why is this important? How does this impact my life? How, how should I change as a result of reading this? What does the Holy Spirit want me to do? Because that's what the Bible is about. It's about more than information. It's about transformation. As a result of what I have read, what should I do now? And the person who is blessed spends time in God's Word and in the private setting, but also in the corporate setting. If you delight in the law of God, you will take every opportunity you can to get in it yourself and to be in it with others, to have those who have been called and gifted by God to teach and to preach it. You delight yourself in the law of God. That's why I encourage you as much as you can participate in Sunday school. 
We have a wonderful Sunday school program. It is growing as we just looked at a while ago with statistics. We have wonderful teachers in each class who have been called by God. They spend time in preparation and prayer and, and they're just ready to pour themselves into your lives. And so I encourage you, connect with a small group, Sunday school class, Bible study group, a fellowship group. And also spend time in the corporate worship service as the Lord lays on my heart a message from His Word each week and I begin and seek by His grace and by, for His glory to expound that, to exposit it for you. You reflect that your delight is in the law of God when you seize those opportunities that God provides. And He meditates on this law both day and night. It means in the brightness of day and the darkness of night. In the good times and in the bad times joy and enthusiasm during the times of good and plenty and blessing but patience long suffering in those times where it feels like God is far from us we meditate on his word both day and night appreciate the word but also when we do this the result in verse 3 is that we achieve wholeness wholeness the results of, of drinking deeply from God's Word. He says you're avoiding the wickedness, the counsel of the wicked. Instead, you are seeking the counsel of God's Word. You are not standing in the path of the sinners, but you are standing and participating in the works of the righteous. You're not sitting in the seat of the scoffer, but you are fixated in the seat of those who teach God's truth. As a result of soaking and delighting, meditating in the law of God, the result is wholeness. Wholeness that comes from God. Those who choose to appreciate the Word, first of all, become God's divine possession. Possession, verse 3, it says, He, not those who walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the path of the sinners or sit in the seat of the scoffers but he who delights in the law of God and meditates on it he will be like a tree firmly planted not some wild bush growing out in the, in the wild somewhere but no a tree that has been planted by God it's God's tree God's possession he has planted it and so it's worth something to him. You become God's possession. But also you receive divine provision if you spend time in the law of God. He says you'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. A tree cannot grow without water. And remember the psalmist is writing to a culture living in the Middle East where streams of water and, and flourishing trees are scarce but not so the man who walks the blessed path. He receives divine provision, streams of water, God's mercy, God's power, God's forgiveness, God's Holy Spirit waters us constantly. We never lack for nourishment when we belong to God and we spend time in His Word. We've been like a tree planted by God watered by streams of water, we also yield our fruits in season. That's divine production. 
The tree is meant to produce something. The Christian life is meant to produce fruits, the fruit of the spirits, the evidence of, of the working of God. If God is at work on the inside and on the outside, things will begin to reflect this. Yielding our fruit in due season, love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, these things will become evident. As you spend time with God, spend time in His Word, these things will begin to manifest themselves in our lives. And the wonderful thing about the fruit of the Spirit is not only does it benefit us, but it's there so that we might in turn be a blessing to others. As the tree grows and begins to produce fruit, the benefits is for those who will come to the tree and receive of its fruit. We, in turn, become a blessing to others when we are part of God's divine production. We also receive God's divine preservation because it goes on to say it yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. speaks of eternal beauty. God preserves those who belong to Him. God makes us to flourish. God builds in our lives an attractiveness, God's, God's presence, God's supernatural beauty. We are preserved not by our own strength, but by God's eternal power. And if we are preserved by God, that means God personally has His hand on our lives and He is orchestrating. He is keeping us as His possession, as His fruitful, as His beautiful possession. You are a beautiful fruit tree to God. His leaf does not wither, and in whatever He does, He prospers. This is where we need to be careful because we have divine perception. If we belong to God and we spend time in His Word, because we see that word prosperity, and the first thing we are tempted to do is interpret that by our own perception. So that means whoever belongs to God prospers. That means he's going to be wealthy. You're going to have an abundance of riches. You're going to have all the material goods your heart desires. Because, and there are some that teach that. The problem is they're wrong. When you read the scriptures, that is not what this is saying. It's talking about prosperity from a divine perspective, from God's point of view. Not the world's point of view, because the world's point of view as we're going to see, does not lead to prosperity, but emptiness. But according to God and by His divine perception, when we walk by faith and not by sight, we receive that which is eternal and not temporal. We have a divine perception as we spend time with God and in His Word. So the blessed man does not do these things, but he does these things. As a result of doing that, this happens tree firmly planted by streams of water. Merriam-Webster defines embodiment as being a perfect representative or an example of a quality idea, etc. So in other words, we might say Chuck Norris is the embodiment of tough. Okay, you want to you know what tough is? You, you got Chuck Norris. What about Psalm 1? Jesus is the embodiment of Psalm 1. How blessed is the man, Jesus, who did not walk the path of the wicked. He did not stand in the seat or stand in the path of sinners. He did not sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight was in the law of the Lord, and in that law he meditated day and night. 
Jesus was like that tree planted by streams of water. He yielded his fruit in his season. His, his leaf did not wither. And whatever he did, he prospered. The call to follow Christ, to be a disciple, is to walk in his footsteps, to follow his path. And if we follow the path of Christ, he will begin to transform us. More and more we will be molded into his image. And so our lives, as a Christian disciple, our lives will begin to mirror his. Is Christ is the embodiment of Psalm 1. Psalm 1 should be what we are pursuing in our lives. Avoiding wickedness, appreciating the Word, and ultimately achieving wholeness as we take up our crosses daily and follow Him. We follow the blessed path, but then in the second stanza, the writer draws for us the contrast. He teaches us to forsake the cursed path. There's a fork in the road and we've got to choose a path. We've got to choose one. Follow the blessed path. And if we do that, we are forsaking the cursed path. Speaks about the fate of those who choose that wrong path. And he says, the wicked are not so. Some translations are emphatic about that. It says, not so, the wicked, not so. The contrast is sharp and it's meant to draw for us this powerful distinction between the blessed path and the cursed path. Why should we forsake it? First of all, it leads to destitution. Destitution. Emptiness. Poverty. Verse 4, The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff. They're not like the, the flourishing fruit tree that's fed by streams of water yielding its fruit. It's a, a wonderful possession to have. The wicked are like chaff which the wind drives away. Again, this is an agrarian illustration here. The, the outside kernel, the outside husk to the kernel of wheat, they would take the fork and toss the wheat in the air and the, and the good stuff, the heavy stuff, the kernel would fall to the ground and the outside husk would just be blown away by the wind. Chaff is the epitome of weightlessness, uselessness worthlessness the wicked those who've, who choose that wrong path they end up destitute empty poor nothing and notice when we talked about the progression of, of sinners in verse 1 we see the wicked and the sinners and the scoffers the wicked are considered to be the, the least offensive in that progression the wicked but notice he talks about the fate of the wicked, those who are, who are least offensive to God, who have still chosen that wrong path. Look to their fate like chaff, which the wind drives away, useless, worthless, disposed of easily. The cursed path leads to destitution. It also leads to division. Verse 5, it says, therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. They will not stand in the judgment. Does that mean they won't be judged? No, it means when they are judged, they cannot stand in their defense. Instead, they will collapse underneath the weight of their guilt and their shame. When they are judged, they will not be able to stand. But they will fall to their knees begging forgiveness but it will be too late 
for that individual. They will not be able to stand in the judgments, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. means there's no wicked person in heaven. There's no person who has walked the cursed path allowed into the presence of God. Again, Charles Spurgeon in a very adequate way said, Sooner could a fish live upon a tree than the wicked in paradise. So that teaches us when you walk the cursed path, you will not end in the proper chosen destination that you would prefer. But there is division. No more will there be tares amongst the wheat. No more will there be chaff amongst the kernel. You see, they, they dwell together temporarily. The Scripture says there is tares amongst the wheat of God's people. But there will come a time where there will be separation. There's going to come a time in the judgment where God's winnowing fork separates and divides the wheat from the chaff. The question is, where will you be on that day? Depends on what path you have chosen in this life. The cursed path leads to division, and finally it leads to destruction. The, the final outcome of neglecting the blessed path and choosing the path that leads away from God is destruction. Verse 6, he says, For the Lord, the covenant name of God, for those who have entered into this personal, lasting relationship with God, he says, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Literally, God is constantly knowing the way of His people. It means when you belong to the Lord, He is intimate with you in your life. He knows when you sit, and He knows when you rise, He knows when you lie down. He knows the ups, the downs, the twists, and the turns. He is familiar. There we see again the, the eminence of God, the nearness of God. He is familiar with the ways of His people. As a loving Father, He is keeping vigil over the lives of His children. And He personally guarantees your continuity. The Lord is knowing the way of the righteous, those who choose the blessed path. But conversely, it says, but the way of the wicked will perish will be destroyed, will not last. The two ways. The way of the righteous. God knows that way. God keeps us in that way by His power. The way of the wicked, God does not avail Himself to. But like the wake that follows in the water behind a boat, it is there temporarily, and then it is gone. The path of the wicked leads ultimately spiritual destruction to eternity the place the Bible calls hell eternal torment sorrow, weeping, gnashing of teeth the blackness of eternal night no hope of ever being relieved of the suffering that's the destruction that awaits those who choose the cursed path those who neglect the path that God has set that leads to him and blessings so as an expression of worship, choose the only path that God promises to bless. And if you are to choose this path that God has set for you, it requires a faith 
that trusts in God. God has said, follow this path. It, it requires a faith that trusts in God so much that that faith is willing to act upon what God has said. God said, here's the path that leads to me, that leads to blessing. You are to walk it. And then it's up to you to say, I trust you, God. And so I choose to walk that path that leads to you. Tuesday night, uh, I shared with you all on Wednesday, uh, Tuesday night I had to take a trip to the emergency room. I had an asthma attack that flared up. And, and I don't get those very often, but in the past when I did get those, I would go to the pharmacy and choose some over-the-counter medicine and treat it and it'd be gone. The problem is that over-the-counter stuff is no longer, no longer being sold. And so it flared up Tuesday night and I no longer had any of that stuff. And I said, well, I'm going I'm to fight it off because uh, sometimes when it is triggered by allergies or whatever, I just have to sit down and, and get away from the trigger and, and it goes away. And so I tried to fight it off and, and did so for several hours and it wasn't working. And so Nancy got on the phone and began to Google stuff and said, okay, here's some home remedies that you can try. Said, uh, drink some coffee. And I'm saying, all right, I've started drinking coffee in the last few years. She said, but you've got to drink it black. And I'm like, well, I like stuff in my coffee, but if this is going to help me breathe, I'll drink the black coffee. So I chugged down a, a glass or a cup of, of coffee, and that didn't work. And she said, all right, uh, eat some yogurt. I'm like, I don't like yogurt. But if yogurt's going to help me breathe, I'm going to eat some yogurt. So I, I scarfed down, uh, choked down a, a cup of yogurt, still nothing. And she said, you got to drink some uh, apple vinegar. And I'm like, you're making this stuff up, all right? Uh, you know, you're, you're picking all this stuff that's nasty and the stuff that I don't want to do. And she said, honestly, it's what it says. And so I tried everything I could, and, and nothing was, was helping me breathe. And so finally at 4 o'clock in the morning, she talked me into going to the emergency room. And so we went in there, and uh, they put one of those, uh, those masks on me, one of those nebulizers, and, and uh, gave me a steroid shot in the leg. And so I was sitting there, and as I was breathing that smoke and began to feel the relief finally I got to thinking about it. I was like, you know, I tried all those other remedies, but there was only one thing that ultimately brought me relief. And to show you how twisted the mind of a preacher is, I was sitting there breathing that smoke, and I'm like, I tried many, many paths, but there was only one way that was going to bring me to the destination I wanted. I'm sitting there breathing and, and, and struggling for a breath, and I'm like, that'll preach. That'll preach. And so I thought, man, if nothing else, God gave me a good sermon illustration out of this. Took, it took me the long way around to get it, but there it was, and it was a good one. None of those remedies were successful. It took one thing, and one thing only, to bring me relief. There are many paths that lead to destruction. Jesus himself said so. But there is only one way to God. John 14, 6, Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He's the nebulizer that leads to breathing. All the other paths are, are the black coffee and the yogurt and the, and the nasty vinegar. All those things will not work. All the other ways to God, all the other religions, all the other philosophies lead to destruction. Jesus is the only way to God. And he himself said so. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 to 14. Enter through the narrow gates, 
For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction and there are many, many that will enter through it. For the gate is small, the way is narrow that leads to life and there are but few who will find it. Deuteronomy 30.19 I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessings and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. There are two paths to take. They lead to two different destinations. Every single one of us are on one path or the other. Every single one of us will arrive in one destination or the other. Your destination is either majesty or misery. Either you will follow the path that God has set aside and says, walk this path and I will bless you. Either you will choose to do that by surrendering your life to Christ Jesus or you will walk the other path that leads to hell, suffering, misery. Choose one path. Choose wisely. Your eternal destination is hanging in the balance. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you have indeed set before us a choice. Set before us a fork in the road that moves in entirely different directions. And those paths will never converge. And we are led to choose one or the other. There's a broad path that many walk. And we see it every day. And it's so wide and, and it's so easy. It looks like a smooth pathway. But it leads to destruction. On the other hand, there's this narrow pathway, this narrow gate. It looks like a difficult path. There are bumps in the road, there's valleys, and there's steep hills. There's twists and turns and it's uncertain and we don't know where it's going, but your word promises us blessings. Blessings now in this life. Most importantly, blessings eternal. There indeed is a choice to make. Jesus himself has said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Heavenly Father, we can only come to you through Him. Maybe somebody here today that's tried so many home remedies, so many other things. So I'll, I'll just go it my own way. I'll, I'll try it my best. I'll try to be a good person. Problem is, that's the path that leads to destruction. We've got to surrender. We've got to admit, I can't do it. We've got to swallow our pride. Accept the forgiveness, God, that you have established for us. What a wonderful, a wonderful plan of salvation that you have made for us. Lord, give us the wisdom and the insight, the supernatural desire to follow that path. To forsake evil and pursue righteousness 
comes from the inside out, Heavenly Father, and give us the new birth that reflects itself in the way that we live. Mighty God, there are many decisions that each and every one of us could be making today, this brand new year, this first Sunday of the year. Whatever decisions you are calling us to make, I pray that we would hear your voice, walk that pathway that results in your blessings. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like for you to stand with me as we have this hymn of decision. As the Lord has set before you a path, a choice, you've got to make the right one. If God is leading you to choose Christ for salvation, would you come today? A rededication of your life, a, a decision to follow Him in baptism, church membership, whatever the case may be, would you come? As we sing, I'm here to speak with you. Altar is open if you would like to come and pray for yourself or others. As the Lord leads, would you follow His path as we sing?